0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. It's good to hear you all talking. I hate to interrupt, but I'm going to read um, our scripture for this morning. It's from um, Romans 4, 1 through 5. So if you brought your Bibles, um, feel free to open them to Romans 4, 1 through 5. And to the one who does not work but believes, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. If you're new here, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors. And so I would love to get to know you if you're new. And you're going to hear at the end of the service if you're new, like how to get plugged in here or learn more about the church and so we encourage you to, uh, to do that. There is a slide that was just up here a second ago um, about Q&A. So sometimes after the sermon, we just do a real informal kind of Q&A. And you can scan that right now um, on your phone. If you're new, you can bookmark that for future reference. And that's how uh, you can ask a question about anything that you're hearing in the message. If you'd like to follow up on that. Um, and I'll, I'll get that to my phone after the sermon and would love to interact with what we have time for. All right, so don't be afraid to do that. We'd really encourage you to do that. And then finally, just by way of introduction, we are in a vision series that we do every single year where we just look at what the Bible says about our three main words here at the church, gospel, community, and mission. What does that mean for the life of the Christian? What does that mean for the life of the Christian in the church what does it mean uh, to, to have your, 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 your life centered around these things that God says are his priorities for his people, gospel community and mission? And so we do this every single year, A, because we have so, so many new people all the time, and so we're constantly wanting to remember what our DNA is and to teach those that maybe have not heard it um, what, what these things mean but also because we know that by our very human nature, we're forgetful people, right? We see that in God's word from beginning to end, that his people are painfully forgetful. And so he has all these different means to remind them, this is who you are. This is who I am, God says, and this is who you are, and this is what we're supposed to do. And so we do this vision series every year because we're forgetful people. I'm a forgetful person. I need to preach the gospel. I've heard the gospel. Yeah, I've heard it and I believe. But am I walking perfectly in its implications? No. And so I need to be reminded, oh yeah, that's that's why I I believe what I believe. And that's why that impacts what I'm going to do today and every day. I need those reminders. And so do you. And so that's why we go through this every year. And so uh, today we're going to be focusing on the gospel. The gospel means good news. What is the good news? And Steffi did such a great job reading from Romans 4. If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans 4, starting in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table back here. You can keep that if you don't have one. And Romans is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we're going to dive into this classic unpacking of what the gospel is here in a second. But I want to start with an illustration. This is kind of a silly illustration, but it gets at the heart. In my study this week, I came across this. I'm going to just read it for you, okay? A preacher long departed from the truth of the gospel told the following story to summarize the faith that he taught. And here's what he said to his congregation. It seems that a frog one day fell into a pail of milk. And though he tried every conceivable way to jump out, he always failed. The sides were too high, and because he was floating in the milk, he could not get enough leverage for the needed leap. So he did the only thing he could do. He paddled and paddled. And paddled some more. And voila, his paddling had churned a pad of butter. From which he was able to launch himself to freedom. And the preacher's message was this. Just keep paddling. Keep on working. Keep on doing your best. And you will make it. Is that Christianity? I mean, that'll preach. That'll preach. That message will preach. You can get some amens from that message, you can get some head nods. But is that Christianity? Is that the essence of what it means to be a Christian? To know that you are right with God? Just do more, try harder. And then God will be pleased with you? So many of us would say no. Some of us, by default, might say, yeah, I think that's kind of how it works. Some of you here in the room today know that's not what the Bible teaches. But the problem is we live and have emotions that reflect that we functionally believe that this is how it works with God. And here's the other thing that makes this really hard to sort out. It makes sense to us. It's intuitive to us because so much of our lives is predicated on hard work. Doing more, trying harder is part of the human experience in some ways, right? It's it's very connected to American culture. Like, like our country in some ways was founded on this desire to work hard, be a trailblazer, make a new life for yourself, this new land to come and a new land of opportunity. You know, we hear that, that catchphrase? If I, if I risk it and work hard and put forth the efforts and trailblaze, I can make a new life for myself. I mean, that was the hope for so many people that moved to the United States a few centuries ago. We have this term, the American dream. What is that? Like this is my great-grandparents, right? They, they moved here from Scandinavia, work hard, put in the work, make a new life for yourself. I mean, this huge history of immigration is still happening to this day, right? I have, a, I have a good friend. He's my mechanic. I've been taking my car to him for 12 years. He's, he's Mexican and he moved here couple decades ago, and you better believe he works hard he's very trustworthy i've been taking my cars to him for twelve years, and that's his story is he moved here he's worked really really hard, built a successful car repair business and he, he was just telling me the other day how th- it doesn't really happen that way in Mexico or there's a high likelihood that it won't happen that way because if you're really successful, people in power will just simply come and take what you have because the corruption runs so deep. It's not just Mexico, this other parts of the world where that's the story, right? You can't just work hard and, and, and do your best and over time things are gonna work out in your favor. Now, of course, that doesn't happen for everyone in the United States, but the likelihood of that happening is much higher than in many other places in the world. That's that, that's why we have this, this culture of work hard, do your best, and it'll pay off in the United States. This ingrained culture of you work hard, you get results. Like, we don't have a, jobs with with a lot of vacation, like most, not, maybe not most, but a lot of places in the world, especially in Europe, you get way more vacation than we do here, right? Now, that may or may not be a good thing. You can look at it from a variety of ways. But American mindset is work hard, get things done, solve problems, embrace innovation, blaze new trails. May or may not be a good thing. Could be a good thing as long as we don't make work and working hard into an idol. But the problem is when that mindset infects our relationship with God and it can so easily and it perverts the gospel, it perverts what the Bible teaches and it's a huge problem. I know how this works for you and for me. And oftentimes it works like this. See if you can relate to this. I didn't read my Bible for a week. I didn't read my Bible for a month. I don't read my Bible at all. So I I just kind of assume that God is probably one step away from banishing me. He certainly doesn't like me. Other side of the coin. I did read my Bible every day. And so, man, I just know that God loves me. I know that God is pleased pleased with me because I read my Bible every every day this week. It could be this: I I sinned against God and against others, other image bearers, by looking at horrible things on the internet in this last year. I know that God is going to reject me if He hasn't already. Other side of the coin. Man, I, I maintained 100% purity with my use of the internet this last year. God, I know you're pleased with me. I know you're going to accept me. Could be this, I've, man, I've been really faithless and stingy with my time and money this past year. God is, is disgusted with me. Or I've been, man, I've been really generous with my time and money with the church this year, I know that God really likes me now. Is that how Christianity works? I know for so many of us, myself included, that can very, very easily be our default setting. Even though we know that it's the wrong answer on the Christian theology test or on the Bible test, right? Is that how Christianity works? Just just obey your way into the kingdom? Well, if we want to know how Christianity works, if we want to know what the Bible teaches, we have to let the Bible lead the way. So let's do that now. Let's look at what Paul, writing to some ancient believers in Rome, said about this. Look at Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified or made right with God, seen as not guilty before God, that's what justify means. For verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about but not before God. What does the scripture say? Great question. Scripture says, verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the key question this morning, great question for anybody, how are people made right with God? How are people made right with God? How can people be rescued from the wrath of God that sin rightly deserves? And Paul answers that in our text in, in chapter 4 of Romans. Now let me set the stage. Some of you might be new to your Bible, and that's 100% okay. Okay. We're all somewhere on the spectrum of understanding the scripture. But let me give you a little context and then let me tell you a little bit about this guy named Abraham who's who's mentioned here. Up to this point in the book of Romans, Paul has laid out his case, okay? Paul has laid out this case that everyone is guilty before God. Jewish people, who are God's chosen Old Testament people, guilty before God. They have failed. Non-Jewish people, called Gentiles, everybody else, guilty before God. They have failed. And he's laid that case over the course of three chapters. Toward the end of chapter three, he launches into this beautiful, beautiful message of comfort that assures people, in light of what he just said about everybody's collective guilt, we're all guilty before God, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. There's yet a message of hope. And the message of hope is this, that at the cross of Jesus, the mercy of God and the justice of God perfectly meet. Where God is just because he does pour out his wrath on sin in himself, in Jesus, at the cross, we see the wrath of God poured out on sin, where Jesus bears it in our place. And those three words, in our place, is also the mercy of God, where sinners can receive the substitute for the wrath of God being poured out. So the wrath is poured out, God is still just, make no mistake, God is just, his wrath is poured out. But sinners have a way of being forgiven, of going free, because the mercy of God is Jesus coming as our substitute. And he lays that all out at the end of chapter three, beautiful language. Then comes the question, how is that news, which is the essence of the gospel, how is that applied to us? How is that appropriated to us? And these ancient Christians in the book of Romans who he's writing to, they're wondering that. And 2000 years later, we're still wondering that or need to be reminded of how is that news applied to me so that I can know it's mine and that I know that I can be a child of God, justified, made right before him. How do we receive these benefits? And for so many people back then who he's writing to and today, the answer was, by working hard. Get to work, prove yourself, and then God will love you. God will allow you to spend eternity with him. And Paul's laying out the case and he's saying, works or faith? Works or faith? He's saying, no, 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 it's not works. It's faith. You don't get Made right with God by working for God, but by simply trusting in God. So that's the question. Are you working for God to earn your salvation, or are you trusting in God to receive salvation? And Paul's answer here is trusting in God by faith, not by works, but by faith. And Paul wants to prove this to them, okay? And the way that he proves it to them is through this guy Abraham, okay? It's not by works, it's by faith. So who's this guy Abraham? And what's he got to do with Paul's whole point that Christianity being made right with God, justification, is by faith and not by works? What's Abraham got to do with that? Look at verse 1 again. Let me read it again. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, it's something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 3 here is what I want to focus on. So verse 3, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. Genesis 15, verse 6. And for some of you, all of us probably need to be reminded on this story, this account that Paul is drawing on. What happened with Abraham? Well, here's what happened to Abraham. God, pinnacle of the whole Bible, Starts in Genesis chapter 12. He's quoting here Genesis chapter 15. Let me just give you a brief backstory. God comes to this guy, Abraham. Not because Abraham was a good guy. God just sovereignly chose him in his mercy. Doesn't say why, just is. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, guess what? This is a paraphrase. I'm gonna make of you a massive nation of people. And I'm going to give you a place to dwell. And in that place where you're going to dwell as my people, in my place, you're going to have my special presence among you. And you're going to be a shining city on a hill that's going to display to the whole world what a people of God looks like. Where Yahweh, God himself, rules and reigns. You're going to, but it's going to start with his people. Through you, through your line, is going to come the special people of God. There's a problem, though. Big problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah, way too old to have kids. How is God going to make this massive people for himself, if Abraham can't have kids with his wife. Like, God, there, there's a challenge to your word here, there's a challenge to your promise. And Abraham basically comes to God and says as much as if God didn't already know, right? Like, God, we're, we're too old. And God says these beautiful words to Abraham in Genesis 15. And he brought him outside and said, Look to the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. That he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And here's what we find in Romans 4, quoting Genesis 6 right here, or Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord... And he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 6 is what he's quoting. That's kind of the hinge of this argument that he's making as he's explaining what Christianity is all about. What the gospel is all about. Does it say that Abraham worked for the Lord and as a result he counted it to him as righteousness? It doesn't say that, does it? Abraham didn't work and work and work and prove himself to God and So that God would say, now, now, Abraham, in light of all that you've done, how you're such a great guy, and man, you've just, you've just nailed it on the, on the works test and, and the theology test and having all the right answers and all the right deeds, and now I'll reward you with a child. That's not what it says. That's not Paul's point. That's not the point of the Bible. Abraham was simply told or received this news This declaration, this promise of what will happen in the future, and in his heart, he simply believed it. Another way to say it would be he trusted it. He trusted it to be true. He trusted it to be reliable. He didn't think God was lying, right? That's what faith in God is. That's what belief in God is, Trusting his words to be true. That's what faith is. And that's why the Bible says that God credited it to him or counted it to him as righteousness. If you just, God is just basically saying to Abraham back then, to the Roman Christians 2,000 years ago, to us today, If you hear my word and what I have said and you believe it, you are righteous. I have made you righteous in my sight. So that same mechanism that Abraham experienced, that Paul is commending to ancient Roman Christians, it just simply goes something like this. Say in your heart to God, God, I trust you. Say in your heart, God, I believe your word. Say in your heart, Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to pay the price as my substitute bearing the wrath of God in my place. Say in your heart, God, I cast myself on your mercy knowing that you are mighty to save. Say in your heart, God, apart from you, I can do nothing. I trust that you will provide. Say in your heart, God, I trust that you will make all things right. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. These are just specific uh, examples of expressions of faith. This is the verbiage of saving faith. It's not you earning anything. It's just stating that you trust God and receiving the news, receiving the declaration that God has made and will make a provision for your sin. Notice, it's it's not listing off all the things that you've done. It's not listing off how much you read your Bible, as important as that is. It's not listing off all the generosity that you showed, as, as, as important as that is. You're saying, God, I receive what you've said, and I believe it, and I trust it. Salvation is by faith, not by works. Now, look at how Paul continues. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him or trusts in him, same idea, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or credited, same idea, As righteousness. Paul's just saying, just like it was for Abraham, when he believed that God would do a miracle, when it was physically impossible, and he heard the promise of God and said, I know you think this is impossible, but I'm still going to do it. And he said, okay, God, I believe you. And then he received righteousness. You can have the same Faith to believe God when he says he's willing to save you when you simply trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to save you. Like, same thing. If God can bring babies out of barren wombs, God can bring spiritual life out of dead hearts. Do you believe this promise? Are you willing to receive that news and believe and trust that it's true, just like Abraham trusted God's word and his promise? If so, that makes you a Christian. That makes you a Christian. See, Paul makes this abundantly clear just a few verses later in chapter four of Romans when he jumps from the ancient Old Testament example to present day for his hearers 2,000 years ago, and us. This is Romans four twenty three. Look at what it says on the screen. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, meaning Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also, Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago, or us today. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It couldn't be more clear, right? God will credit to your account the righteousness you need without which no one can see God. God will simply give it to you as a gift when you stop working for God but trusting in God and his word. Essential Christian question, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and was given to cover our sin or trespasses, as it says here? Do you believe that that was sufficient to take care of the debt and give you the spiritual money you didn't earn but were simply given to cover this debt? Do you believe that without trying to work for it or earn it? If so, then you're believing the gospel. Then you know that you are Christian. You can have assurance of that faith. Some of you might need to hear this for the first time and believe. Many churches for many, many years since Paul wrote this text have been preaching the opposite of this text. And the default setting is just kind of do more, try harder, and and then hopefully, you know, the, the scales will be balanced in your favor. That's not Christianity. That's not the teaching of the Bible. Some of you need to receive for the first time what the Bible teaches about what it means to be made right with God. And some of you have just been not really believing that in terms of knowing it's the wrong answer, but. Operating out of that mindset, if this works-based mentality, your whole life and today is the day when that needs to cease, and you need to trust God's word. Repent of that way of thinking and become a Christian. Some of you are, are Christians today; you've, you've just simply forgotten this news, and, and I want to remind. Let this be a, a time when you're reminded, and then rejoice. So here's the question. Let me close with this. Why is this so important? Like, what's at stake here? That's what you should always be asking when anybody gets up and teaches God's word. Like, What's this guy getting at? What's at stake here? Well, here's what's at stake. It's the reason why we have to hammer this home all the time. Because if we get this wrong, there's two ditches that we can kind of fall into, and both of them are horrible And the twin ditches are pride and despair. If we get this wrong, we're probably going to fall into either pride or despair. So here's here's where pride comes in. If you have a a works-based mentality, you have a subjective standard that you're trying to meet. It probably isn't biblical, but it just came from somewhere. And you actually meet it. What's that going to do? It's going to make you prideful. Man, I'm pretty much crushing it with my obedience, right? And what about these idiots over here? They're not, they're not crushing it like me. What's that going to do to community? What's that going to do with your worship of God in your thankfulness towards God? It, 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 it destroys love for God and love for others because you're just so prideful. But the gospel destroys pride because it's just a gift. You didn't earn it. You can climb some ladder of good deeds, make it to the top on your own effort. That's the opposite of the gospel, right? The other ditch, though, is is despair. And again, you might have a list of good deeds that probably isn't biblical, but just you made up in your head. And you fail at it all the time. You fail at it all the time. And you just carry this sense that you're never going to measure up. And that's toxic to your relationship with God and your relationship with others. It's hard to worship God when, when, you, when you just believe that he's one step away from just sending you to hell. And it's hard to be life-giving to others around you in community when you're overwhelmed with despair. So see how pride and despair are these twin ditches we can fall in? that ruin our relationship with God and ruin our relationship with others. But when we believe this word from God's word this morning, what do we get? We don't get pride or despair if you really understand it. What do you get? You get humility. You get humility. And humility is everything in our life with God and our life with others. Humility is the only thing that can survive at the foot of the cross, right? Right? Because it's not about me. It's nothing that I did. It's about everything that Jesus did that I just receive as a gift. Let me give you an illustration. My dad passed away about seven years ago. And, uh, you know, <laughs> in, in, in keeping with this message, uh, he worked really hard. And uh, he, he saved really well. And he was faithful to, to have a retirement plan. And so that really doesn't have anything to do with, it's just ironic that I'm talking about that in light of this message. Um, but he did a good job with that, those things. And so when he died, my mom was um, very well taken care of. Um, not like mega rich or anything, but she has everything that she needs. She lacks for nothing. And historically, my dad has been, um, you know, just one of those guys that likes to spend money. And my mom is one of those people that doesn't like to spend money at all. And so I, my, I, think, I think my dad told me this before he died, that he said to my mom, like, don't be stingy with me and, and my sister after I'm gone. And, and my mom, for as much as she doesn't like to spend money or, or use money, um, she, she's done that. She's been very generous with my sister and I. And usually that comes um, at Christmas. And it's not the same... But usually there's a check from grandma, and uh, and it's been a huge blessing to our family. What's the response to that gift? If you've been, you know, some of you can relate to that in maybe a, a lot of different ways. Is the response to that free gift that I didn't earn? Is it, is it pride? Like, yeah, mom, I you you owe me. I deserve this. Heck yeah open that thing up better be more next year you know cuz i'm working hard of course not i didn't earn anything from from that right it's just it's just generosity is it so that the pride parts ridiculous what about despair like open up that that envelope oh, this money isn't enough we still can't buy the things that we want and not good enough and we're financially doomed. No, it's not that. What is it? It's just humility, just thankfulness. I didn't earn it. It's a good gift. It's a provision. It has nothing to do with me. I just receive it. I see it. I believe that the check's not going to bounce, right? I, I trust the check's not going to bounce. I go to the bank, and I'm thankful, so thankful. So thankful that it causes me to praise God, that, God, you are a God through my mom that you provide for us. And also, man, we don't want to hoard this, so, so we're going to be generous with this, right? In light of the gift that I've been given, I can be gracious to other people too. See how that works? In response to a gift that you just received that you didn't earn, it affects how you relate to God or uh, it affects how you relate to others because of deep humility. That's what the gospel does in our hearts. That's the power of the gospel. And all of this happens through the Holy Spirit. And That's not part of the text today, but it's in the background of everything When I do that, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in me to bring that about, to change my heart, to even want to receive that. That's a sovereign work of his mercy. That's the power of the gospel. May we never get over it. May we continually walk in its implications. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to do what I just said, to continue to walk in this truth and its implications for the life of our church, so that we can give you the glory and so that we can receive the joy and that it would make your church a beautiful place for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I knew this question was coming. Uh, Okay, so... Does James believe something different than Paul? James 2, 21 through 24 says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works? This is straight Bible, y'all, okay? Was, this is James 2, 21 through 24. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so uh, this is a whole other sermon. Um, Thank you, John, for giving this really challenging question. Um, And this, this definitely came up in my study this week in preparing. And there's a few things to say. Whenever you see a potential contradiction in the scripture, one of the first things you want to do is ask, what's the original audience, right? Um, What's going on with those people? Now, the the reason why this is really challenging is because the same words are used, but the same words are applied in different contexts, okay? So for the, the context of the book of Romans, he's talking to people who trust and really believe the Old Testament, about Abraham, and the ancient Jewish mindset was that Abraham was justified by works. Abraham is the hero, and Abraham uh, did all this stuff, and historically, Jewish people believed that Abraham was justified by works, right? And so, uh, Paul's writing this to simply say, no, 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 that's not how it works for Abraham. Let me actually unpack the story of Abraham, and you can see that he was justified by faith. And then his works flowed out of that. So in the book of James, if you read the whole book of James, you'll see that it's a very different context. It's people, it's a church, and these people are acting like they functionally don't believe the gospel, they don't believe that the gospel has any implications for their life, so it's not that they—it's um, not that they—they—they they, they, they haven't heard the gospel, but it's that they don't live in light of its implications, right? And so, there's a difference between living in light of its implications and hearing the gospel with faith. Okay, and there, there's different audiences in, in, involved here. Romans, they just need to understand what the gospel is and the book of James is man, if you look at the cross all these different examples in the book of James, favoritism towards rich people I'm using your mouth to destroy people. If you do all of those things with no repentance there's probably a breakdown over here with this gospel that you say you believe right and so Uh, The question is, do you actually believe the gospel? And then if you believe it, are you going to live in light of its implications? Okay? Both are important. Living in light of the implications don't save you. Here's the key thing. Living in light of the implications doesn't save you. It shows that you are saved. It's fruit that comes from the tree. Okay? So like God... Um, does the miracle of salvation and the tree is planted and he does that work and your eyes are open to believe and hear the message of the gospel? And when that happens, a good tree bears good fruit. But if there's no good fruit on the tree, that's what James is talking about. These people are acting like they don't really know God, they don't really believe the gospel. Um, then you question, like, what, what's going on with the tree? Now, th- there's a lot more we could say. Probably should wrap it up there. I will, there's a really good sermon that, um, that was preached by John Piper called, I think it's called, um, Do Paul and James Disagree? And he preached this a decade ago together for the gospel. I'll link to that because he goes into this over the course of an hour if, if this is something that's tripping you up. Because if, on the surface, it can be kind of tricky. Like, what's going on here with James and, and Romans and the words justified and citing Abraham and... Um, but but context of the original audiences